I'm glad you're here today, or I'm glad that you're joining us on the live stream. Welcome to all. Today, we're going to wrap up our series Face to Face. But just before we get to that, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles or grab open your app, uh, John chapter 20. Gospel of John is where we're going to be. That's where we're going to land in just a second. While you're preparing for that, I'm going to put in my two cents worth of I'm so grateful that we are part of hosting this seminar that, uh, of navigating an over-sexualized world with Robert Oglesby. I know you're going to be blessed. I know you're going to be challenged by this. This is a live discussion going on in our culture right now. And there are competing voices out there. And so we want to be a part of a church. We want to be a kind of church that helps provide resources, that helps provide knowledge and insight to live this Christian faith out in the world where it really matters. It's powerful to come in here on Sunday. We're definitely for that. But the going out and then living it Monday through Saturday is a critical piece that we don't want to miss. Several um, weeks ago, I asked you guys to send me questions that you had about things we need to be talking about. We called it the Can We Talk? And we had an online version that you could write in, and we received numerous responses. Many of them had to do with sexuality. And so this is one of the responses. I'm so grateful for Justin for leading the way and bringing this to us and making this happen today, but we're responding to some of those with providing an opportunity for Robert to share this material. Second thing I want you to know about is this. We wrap up the series today. In two weeks, we launch into a beginner's guide to church, and we're going to be working through the scriptures of uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be providing, uh, making our scripture journals available and I want you to be uh, present for that. I want you to be inviting someone for that because we're going to learn what it means to live out a resurrected life in this world. And so a lot of these cultural issues that we're facing right now are going to be addressed through the Scripture. And I guarantee you right now, you're going to think that I worked out some agenda because 1 Corinthians is going to be so relevant to our world today and what we face both individually and as a church together, you're going to be blessed on how we live this out. So I want you to be praying about that. I want you to be planning on being a part of that. And I want you to be thinking about who you can invite to that. That's going to start on September 26th. If you would, let's pray together and we'll jump into today's message. Father, I pray that today as we explore once again your gospel, that we would uh, come face to face with Jesus. And that reality would change us. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. We've been looking each step of the way through this gospel. We've been looking at people, ordinary, average people that are real, that are coming face-to-face with Jesus. Last week, we looked at a man named Lazarus who Jesus rose from the dead, and we realized in that study that Jesus actually came face-to-face with death in that. And I just want to encourage you, if you're experiencing a season of loss or you're in some form of grief right now, I want to encourage you to go back and hear or watch that message because I had several come up to me afterwards that were expressing they're in that kind of season right now. And they're dealing with a death or dealing with grief or they're dealing with a loss of somebody that they love deeply. 
And they found that message to be particularly encouraging. So I want to invite you to go do that. But each step of the way, we're looking at people that are encountering Jesus. And what we're saying is, this is an encounter with God in the flesh. This is a real encounter that makes a real difference. And today we're going to wrap it up with somebody that you've probably heard of before because he gets an unfortunate nickname. And the nickname is Doubting Thomas. Now, put yourself back in the first century real quickly. And if I came up to you and said, listen, there's going to be something called the Bible that's going to be coming out. It's going to go around the world. It's going to be a worldwide phenomenon. And you can be in the book. You would be on board with that until I said, and we're going to give you a nickname. We're going to call you the one who doubted. So for all of history, you get that. Well, here's a message for any of us that would be terrified to make the book in that kind of way. But if we got real honest and it didn't leave the room, we'd say we've got doubts. And so if that describes you, there's a word here for you today. So John chapter 20 verses 19 is where we're going to start. This is right after the crucifixion. This is right, there's been about three days since the crucifixions occurred and Jesus has gone to his death. And the disciples are huddled together and I want you to look at what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, so this is Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. You need to understand they are not at some victorious worship service. They are not having a celebration. They are scared. And they've got the doors locked because they feel that any moment the authorities are going to come busting through the doors and haul them off because they just witnessed their rabbi be executed. They just witnessed their teacher, their mentor, the one that has led them for the last three years to be killed. And they're scared. And there's been some reports from some ladies that they'd gone to the tomb and it was empty. And Peter and John went running that way and they found that the tomb's empty. So now there's fear and confusion. One of the things that we all remember, if you were old enough to remember on 9-11, 20 years ago, was just the fear and the confusion. Because as the news started rolling in, it started as a small plane that accidentally hit a tower. And then it became two planes that hit the tower. And then rumors of the Pentagon being hit. And then some plane that we can't, attract for, can't account for perhaps goes down in a field in Pennsylvania. And the news reports were just all over the place at first, trying to figure out what the truth. And we had fear and we had confusion. And they call it the fog of war. Well, these guys are in the fog of war. And they don't know what to believe. And so here they are gathered together and they've got the doors locked. And they're unsure because even though Jesus told them in as plain of language as he possibly could have, they're unsure that they can at this moment believe in the resurrection. See, it's really different for us right now because we look back and we can read the whole story, right? And we can see it coming because we live on this side of it and we know the outcome. And whether you believe it or not, you at least know how the story goes. 
that wasn't their understanding at this particular moment. You have to understand that on the third day when he was supposed to rise again, and he told them he would, none of the disciples went out and stood by the tomb. They didn't have a countdown. Ten, nine, eight, seven. You know, cue lights, start the music. Fog machine, I don't know, maybe it was a fog machine. And then the stone starts to roll away, and ta-da. I mean, it makes good stage production, but none of them expected that. See, what I love about this moment, and this is a quote from Andy Stanley, he says this, Nobody expected no body. If you need help, ask the person next to you. You see, they were like us. The resurrection was outside of their thinking at the time. So they're afraid and they're confused. So into this scene steps Jesus. And look, look back in our, in our thing. Jesus came in. He came into locked rooms, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Now, this is what you would hope somebody would say when they appear in a locked room all of a sudden. Peace be with you. Why does he need to say that? Because they're afraid and they're scared and they're confused and they're anything but the biblical heroes that we think they should be. They're just like you and me. After he said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. What's he doing? He's showing them scars. He, he is in a resurrected body now, and yet he still bears the scars of crucifixion. There's a Christian song that's out right now, and it makes the claim, and I believe they're spot on, the only scars that will be in heaven will be on the ones on his hands and his feet and his side. That's all others are healed, except even in Revelation it tells us it was a lamb that looked as if he had been slain. And so Jesus will bear the scars of the crucifixion, now made victorious for all of eternity. And that's what he shows them. And they become overjoyed. And again, Jesus says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. And he turns over the mission of the church to them. And one would say, they're not ready. They were just scared a few minutes ago. Jesus, they're not prepped yet. You're really taking a gamble. And Jesus says, peace be with you. John goes on to tell us that one wasn't there. Now Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Now this is where Thomas gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas. And that's really unfortunate because he is asking for no more evidence than what the other guys received. That's all he's asking for. And I wonder if I try to put myself into Thomas's place, 
if he's sitting there wondering, it's too good to be true. Guys, this isn't funny if you're messing with me. I, I need to see this because I saw what they did to him. And what they did to him, you don't just click reset. You don't just click delete. You don't just back up the tape. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And here we go. The doors were locked, and Jesus came in and stood among them again and said, Peace be with you. You notice every time he shows up, he begins with, Peace be with you. Then he turns to Thomas, and he says, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. And in that moment, Jesus said to him, I mean, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. See, Thomas's doubt turns into worship. Thomas's doubt turns into praise. And he makes that confession. Here's the first takeaway that I need you to understand about this. It's this, Jesus never scolds Thomas for his doubt, and he does not, doesn't scold you for yours. Jesus, it, you read all through the story, there's never a time where Jesus shakes a finger and says, what were you thinking? Why did you not think I could pull this off? Why did you doubt? He never scolds him. He keeps coming back with, peace be with you, peace be with you. Where does Jesus meet us in the moment of our doubts? With peace. Peace be with you. Just like Thomas and just like yours. And whatever doubt you wrestle with, Jesus is big enough to handle it. And he does not come along and scold you for it. He does not doubt you because you doubt him. He does not have his relationship with you based on any questions that you may have about him. What he brings is peace be with you. Then Jesus says this, because you've seen me, you've believed. Then he says, blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. And then John puts this line in. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He's basically saying, there's a lot more stuff that I haven't put down yet. But these, the things that I've told you already, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's a very theological movie that came out when I was a teenager. It's called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, okay, you can appreciate it. At the end of that movie, they had a gimmick, a gag that has been repeated numerous times since, but this is one of the first movies to ever do that. After the credits roll, there was this end credit scene. Now, that's like commonplace now, and we all expect it. Nobody gets up and leaves the theater because you want to see the end credit scene. Nobody was expecting the end credit scene. And what happens at the end credits 
right after the credits roll is the Matthew Broderick character, Ferris Bueller, comes. It looks like he's just stepped out or is about to step into the shower as if he's just finished making the movie. And he looks, he breaks the fourth wall, looks right at the camera and talks to the people in the audience and says, it's over. You can go home now. You can go. There's nothing more. And it was novel and it was kind of groundbreaking and it was very clever. This is what John's doing here. John's breaking that fourth wall. And he takes the spotlight off of Jesus and Thomas and he shines it onto all those that are going to read his gospel. He shines it onto you and to me. And he turns the question that Thomas had been wrestling with of can I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead and he points the the microphone, points the camera at us, points the, the spotlight and says, but what about you now? What do you say when it comes to who Jesus is? And he really brings us into this face-to-face moment with who Jesus is. And this is where our doubts start to creep in. And and here's what I, I want you to understand. You may have some serious questions about Jesus. And I do not downplay those at all. And I don't want to treat them lightly. And you may have wrestled with some stuff, but let me share just my experience with you. I have had numerous conversations, both in my youth ministry days and in my preaching days, that especially with students, this really happened a lot with students, they would come up to me and say, can we talk? And they go, it's really serious. So of course, I'm a young youth minister at the time, I'm like, okay. And, you know, Robert Oglesby's here today, he was my mentor in youth ministry, and you can test this. You know, the golden rule was whatever the student told you, you had to keep a poker face and not flinch, you know. And so a student would come up to me and they'd say, they'd say this is really, really bad. I need to tell you something. Whew. Okay, so I'm getting my game face on, you know, and I don't know what they're about to tell me. Okay, you know, I, I've had students tell me they're pregnant. I've had students tell me they're same-sex attracted, you know. Are they going to tell me what I don't know, you know, and I'm just getting worried. And they go, all I could do to go, oh gosh, good, (laughs) that's it. But that's how serious it is. And somewhere we got the message that if we have doubts, Jesus is disappointed with us. Jesus is not disappointed with your doubt. And some of you have some really good questions. And some of you have some really good concerns that you're wrestling with and you're asking. But for many people... When they start to have doubts about Jesus, what I want to challenge you with, I don't want to downplay your doubts, but I do want to challenge you with this. Are your doubts about some peripheral issue? Can I trust the Bible? Where did the dinosaurs go to? What happens, um, what happens with marriage in heaven? Uh, lots of good questions. How do I rectify the archaeological evidence with with scripture there's some great questions out there and i'm not downplaying them but they're not the central question see thomas believed everything about jesus up to a point you understand that thomas was not doubting who jesus was he wasn't doubting what he said he wasn't doubting his teachings he'd seen all the teachings He'd heard all the sermons. He'd seen the miracles. He'd watched him walk on water. He'd watched him get the lame to walk again, heal the blind to see. He'd seen all that. What Thomas doubted was one thing and is the thing that all of Christianity is based on. 
did he rise from the dead? That's the part that Thomas said, I can't go that far until I see it. And what I want to challenge you, if you're wrestling with doubts and you're thinking about maybe I've got too many doubts, I need to walk away from Jesus. What I want to challenge you with first is make sure you're dealing with that question. That that's the question that's causing you to walk away with. Not something else. Because that's the core. That's what all of Christianity is founded on is, is the tomb empty? Did Jesus walk out of the tomb. Again, nobody expected no body. And so, we are invited to believe in Jesus, who is, not who was. Not a historical figure, not a nice teacher, not somebody that said some nice things, that lived a nice life, did some nice things, but was misunderstood, and so he's crucified for it. The invitation that causes Thomas to fall on his face and say, My God and my Lord, is to this belief that Jesus is alive and Jesus is present. So, the last takeaway is this, and then we'll close. If Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he was going to do, then you are who he says you are. When you come to believe in Jesus, your identity is completely redefined. Because if he is who he says he is, he's the son of God. God come in the flesh to be among us. And he did what he said he was going to do. Go to the cross, die, and rise again on the third day. That's what we've got to deal with. And if he can pull that off, then he gets to call the shots. And therefore, he is, you are who he says you are. Not who the world says you are. Not what everybody that wants to tear you down says they are. Not what some person that you really looked up to, but they were disappointed in you says you are. Not whatever baggage says you are. Not what your ex-spouse says you are. You are who he says you are. And this is the one that says, peace be with you. And the invitation of the one that walked out of the tomb is this. Is that your sins are forgiven. And he is with you always. And even death cannot separate you from his love. And he bestows upon all of those that Cling to this confession. Child of God. That's what happens when you come face to face with the risen Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for a Thomas that doubted because he gives me permission to doubt and to wrestle in the struggle. So Father, I pray for anyone that's here that's wrestling with the same, that's struggling with, with questions that they have, that I would pray that in a very tangible way you would show them that you are bigger than all the questions. You're not disappointed with the questions and you can handle them. And then, Father, you would ignite in each of us 
a rock-solid conviction that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Father, may we be a church that gathers around that call, and we are bold in that. Father, would you let that guide us this week? It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Together we say, amen.